Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. And come Monday, going to be a flood of tweets towards at Keith Law. People, I guess, happy with where their, their favorite prospects land on his top 100 list. But I think more than uh, 50% of the tweets headed towards Keith will be very angry with where their favorite prospect is slotted. Uh, his top 100 prospects piece coming out on Monday for The Athletic. It is Keith Law. How's it going, Keith? Good, good. How about you? Uh, I'm good. I, I want to start with Dana Brown, uh, new Astros GM, uh, formerly of uh, the Toronto Blue Jays as a, an assistant for Alex Anthopoulos and then followed him to Atlanta um, to be vice president of scouting for the Atlanta Braves. His 2019 draft was insane, like real, real good. And and that can change a franchise. <laughs> I, I just, I, I wonder, Keith, like if you're designing a front office, where does being good at the draft rank in the qualities you'd want an executive to have? Uh, pretty low, actually. That's no slight against Dana, who I like quite a bit, but... It's, it's not the skill set that matters, right? Your ability to evaluate players is not actually that important if you're the general manager. It's your ability to run a staff, your ability to manage people, especially a lot of people you don't get to see directly. And that is where somebody running a draft, meaning an amateur scouting director, that's the skill that matters. It's not so much how are your picks. Obviously, people get promoted if the picks are good, and if the picks aren't good, they get fired. But it's really less about the picks and more about the process. Did you manage the staff well? Did you retain staff? Was your process good? Even for picks that didn't work out, can I see that you utilized your people? And in situations where you didn't see the player, did you have a good process for getting information from different people? That is something you would want to see when elevating an executive, whether it's an amateur scouting director, a pro scouting director, a farm director. They all have to do that to manage a far-flung staff who they might only get to see once or twice a year. So, Keith, what do you make uh, of this move from from Houston's perspective? Obviously, the way things changed over there left a bad taste in the mouth of some. You, you're coming off a, a World Series and with a lame mm-hmm. duck general manager and things shake out in a little bit of an awkward way. Um, how that's played out and now seeing uh, Dana in this role, what do you make of where the Astros are and how that executive group handled this changeover? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want to read too much into it. I, I think... Look, I, I didn't like the way they treated James Click, who I think was uh, you know, did a lot of really good things, including building back up a staff, a front office, and a scouting staff that had been depleted under Jeff Luno. He provided some respectability to the franchise. He made a couple of key moves that helped them get back to winning the World Series. You know, that said, that's that's done, and you know, I evaluate this move kind of in a vacuum. And I I think it's interesting that they went out and got someone who has an extensive experience out scouting for a, or, or an organization that under Jeff Luna got rid of almost all of its scouts and had only begun to staff back up under James Click. They hired a guy who's a scout at heart. And so that makes me think, well, they're probably going to continue to add staff. And I hope they do, because I think the organizations like the Dodgers and Rays, and to some extent the Blue Jays, who've maintained real scouting staffs, they've found a lot of success. And they're showing up in the postseason and they're continuing to find and develop talent more than other organizations do. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, maybe you can talk about what you view um, in in the Blue Jays as far as uh, the the scouting staff and the the way they evaluate players and and um, the process that they go through to to stock the minor leagues. Like, where do they not just evaluating the players that are currently in the minor league system for the Blue Jays, but how do you evaluate 
who they have, uh, the, the, the way they go about it? Well, I can, most of what I see, it's the, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? It's the players. And so, and I, you know, I try to evaluate, say, if we're talking about the draft, for example, we can talk about how players worked out, but also what was the perception of the players at the time they were drafted. You know, I think back to the, I think the year they drafted Bo Bichette, uh, they also drafted J.B. Woodman, who was a, a hilariously bad pick at the time. And everyone knew it. Um, and there's all kinds of stories coming out about the process. And I don't know what exactly is true or not. I don't want to speak out of turn. But to me, that that's a pick I evaluate because at the time, everyone thought it was a bad pick. And also, it didn't work out on top of that. But it's important to think of those as two separate things. Are they spending money, whether it's high draft picks or big money in the international market on players who the rest of the industry doesn't value the same way. Well, then you really have to see if they succeed. Cause if you spent money, say on a player and he, and that everyone else thinks is a bad pick or a bad signing and he doesn't work out. Well, that's probably a sign that your process isn't great. If that's happening repeatedly, then it's fair to question whether the people in charge are the people who should be in charge. Now, it looks to me, at least, like, and Keith, I know you and I talked about this a ton this year on, on Jays Talk Plus. Uh, the Jays do, the Jays specifically have a, a penchant for those uh, quick to the high levels of the minors, middle infield types who maybe don't mm-hmm. have a ton of ceiling, um, but are, you know, assets all the time. Um, not to give too much away about your top 100 that's coming, uh, but does the next man up in that pecking order make your top 100 for the Blue Jays? Of their middle infield types? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm thinking specifically yeah. Addison Barger, and I have a follow from there uh, after we hear your, your Barger tip. Sure. Oh, yeah, Bar- Barger's not a top 100 prospect. I like him, but I think he's a utility guy. Gotcha. They have, you know, if you look at just at their draft this year, just at day one, right, they had four picks, and they took two college guys who should move fairly quickly, Cade Dowdy and uh, Joss Kasevich, who is really very much the player you're talking about. Not a lot of ceiling, but a nice player and probably somebody who gets the big leagues pretty quickly. But they use that as a platform also to go out and roll the dice on two high school kids. A high school pitcher, not my favorite demographic, but that Brandon Burrow has a lot of upside and Tucker Toman. So to me, that's fine if you want to take those higher floor, uh, lower risk players, but you've got to mix in some of the higher risk players, or higher, you know, more volatility because that's where you get your stars. It's rare that those quick to the majors, high floor guys, turn out to be stars you are paying for their probability not for their upside so in terms of barger um when you look at where he's at maybe he's not a top 100 prospect uh he did reach triple a briefly this year uh already 23 and you said you you use the word utility he's also uh, a lefty so he can move around the the infield a little bit when you look at how the Jays are structured and if they're maybe looking to make another addition the rest of the way, whether it's a, a right-handed hitting outfielder or another reliever, what have you, um, is Addison Barger ready to step into a major league bench role if, say, a Kevin Biggio were outbound in a move? Yeah, I think he's better than Kevin Biggio right now, actually. And I do think that he is ready to step in and be a major league bench player. Look, I think as a platoon bat, because he bats from the left side, and somebody who 
can fill in an emergency at shortstop. He is really not a shortstop. He can play third pretty well. I'm sure he can play second. Uh, and if he's got to stand at shortstop for a day or two or fill in for a couple innings here and there, I think he can do that. He's that kind of utility infielder. And I do think he's ready. And I think the fact that he started to hit the ball harder last year is actually real. Um, I think Ricky Tiedman's going to be on your <laughs> your list. Like I, I don't know where, but I, I'm thinking he's, he's going to be on your list. He's, Come on, he's, Ben. We're doing hipster stuff. <laughs> you want guys that I are play on the, the top 100? <laughs> no, no. We want guys who are like in the 500 to 1,000 range. <laughs> no, I, I want to talk about the guy with, with maybe ace upside who reached uh, the upper levels of the minor leagues. I mean, double A at least last year before he was shut down. Um, where, like, could his major league arrival occur in 2023 yes it's also quite possible it comes in the bullpen which is not to say that i think he's a reliever long term i don't but i think it is more likely that he helps this club as a bullpen piece in 2023 than it is that he helps them as a starter in 2023 and that has to do with a lot of things from you know the way his delivery works it's going to take him longer i think to develop the kind of command especially to his glove side he's going to need to be a major league starter and also the fact that I think the Blue Jays have enough starter depth that it's much more likely he'll be able to help them in the main, in the in a relief role later in the year. And if they want to continue to manage his workload, which they managed his workload extremely aggressively, they shut him down for a couple of weeks and he came back and it was three innings at a time for the rest of the season. If they are managing his workload in a similar fashion, you could also see him make 15 to 18 starts in the minors and pitch deeper into games and then come up and work as a bulk reliever, say, in the majors in the last two months of the season, which I think would be great for his development too. That's I'm a big, big fan of the Earl Weaver tactic of breaking in your long-term starters as relievers. I also think that's probably how he's best equipped to help the club this year. So I know we've moved past the, the so-called Verducci effect of you don't want to jump guys innings more than X amount uh, year over year. It's more nuanced than prospect specific than that um i am curious though when you when we talk about what tiedemann's workload could look like for this year and the best way to get to that number when you look back and and i don't think he wasn't the only one and i don't think he'll be the only one moving forward the jays pulled him out of minor league ball for a couple weeks this year to spend some time and that at that dunedin complex um not really Mm -hmm. not an il stint by by all indications it was uh hey Continue to develop, work on your your stuff stint. Um, How do, if that's going to be a regular part of the development process for Jay's pitchers moving forward, how do we account for that when we we look at, you know, timelines and workloads? It's important to distinguish between, you know, did he get sent there because he was hurt or did he get sent there because it was a workload thing? Uh, The Phillies did this with Andrew Painter. They just skipped a start. In June, he's their, their top pitching prospect, one of the best in all of baseball. And they called it load management. They said, you know, we thought he was kind of getting a little hot and we wanted to avoid fatigue, of course, any risk of injury. And so they shut him down for a week and he came back and threw two innings. And I think it was three innings. And they built him back up. And this is in the middle of the season, which even three, four years ago, you just never saw. And so when I'm writing about prospects, obviously I spend a lot of time talking to team officials about all their prospects. And that's one of the first things I ask, too, when I get to a guy and I notice some kind of something weird in the game log, some kind of gap where the innings total just doesn't line up. Hey, what did you did you do something with this guy? Was he hurt or was this part of the plan? And again, treat that accordingly. Whether I agree with the philosophy or not doesn't matter. It is important to be able to say, you know, he's fine. Ricky Tiedemann wasn't hurt. 
but they shut him down before he got overworked. And then he came back and he worked in shorter stints. And by the way, when he came back, he wasn't throwing as hard. Mm-hmm. So that indicates to me, hey, maybe it was a good idea to give him a bit of a break. Yeah, or if you're uh, in Painter's case, you come back and you have a 37 to 2 strikeout the walk ratio as a 19 year old at Double A down the stretch. Uh, maybe it's working there yeah. too. Ben, could I interest you good. in a 37 to 2 strikeout the walk ratio? That's pretty good. I, w- I would sign up for that. Uh, <laughs> there's really just uh, no debate about that. A, a, a guy that we I thought we might see in the bullpen at the end of last year, and obviously injuries were a part of the reason we didn't, uh, and had to be added to the 40 man roster to to keep him from uh, the Rule Five draft was Josfer Zulueta. Who who mm-hmm. did he 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 reached AAA a season ago? Um, he was a, a starter converted into a reliever. Is this a guy that you you could see in a in a major league bullpen in in twenty twenty three? Yeah, I think he was maybe if he was healthy, they would have tried him in the major league bullpen, especially since he had to go on the forty man. I know scouts who believe he can start, and I wouldn't be surprised if the plan was start him in AAA with the with an idea that he could help the major league team in the bullpen whenever as opposed to Tiedemann, who's younger and has more upside, where you would probably say, no, we're going to let him make some fixed number of starts in the minors and we'll consider him for the majors until pick a date, August 1st, something like that. Zulouette, I could see them saying, hey, he's older. He's been hurt a lot. He definitely has the arsenal to start. And he might have the other things too, you know, in terms of control and a good delivery, et cetera. But given the workload so far and the injury history, they may say, you know what, if this guy could come up and help us in May, June, July as a relief piece, he's probably going to throw 100. Um, I could see them being more inclined to doing that. And preserve, and that's also a way to preserve Tiedemann, to say, no, Tiedemann is the one we build around. And you call up like Zulueta or um, Hayden Younger, who are, who's also a pretty interesting pitching, starting pitching prospect, but he could come up and work a little bit in the bullpen so that Tiedemann gets to stay on a very strict regimen. Two other names the Jays added to the 40-man ahead of Rule 5. Um, and, and, Keith, they're both guys that you and I have, have touched on in the past. But uh, Nathan Lucas and Spencer Horwitz, two more lefties. Suddenly this organization has nothing but lefties and they have no righties anywhere. Um, are either of those guys of interest to you in 2023? Or is the it just a little bit too limited a skill set for both of those guys? Yeah, Horwitz probably over Lucas. I, I like Lucas isn't even going to be on my Jays top 20, which will run in two weeks. Horwitz is on there as a you know potential bench bat. I think he can hit a little bit as a lefty bat off the bench. He doesn't really have much of a position, a um, little bit of an older guy, but there's something there that a team, especially with 26 man rosters. Now teams are carrying a few more guys on the, you know, more likely to carry an extra position player on the bench. There's a spot for him somewhere. I don't think it's an impact bat. I think it's definitely a platoon guy. But there's enough there that he has some major league value, and it's probably now. And it wouldn't shock me in the least if some other team, some bad team, came to them at some point and said, yeah, put Horowitz in the deal. He's not the lead guy, but somebody with playing time to give out. The Jays don't have a lot of playing time to give out, but there are plenty of clubs that would love to say, we'll give him 400 at-bats and just see what happens. Yeah, that's not a, a bad way to do it. It's, uh, you know, I know we tend to think of those things more on the pitching side sometimes, mm-hmm. guys that can just give you innings, the Cole Irvin type deals like we saw today. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, you need pitch, you need hitters uh, as well. Keith, before we let you go, uh, I know it's Oscar season. I know you've been blogging about all the mm-hmm. Oscar nominees as you uh, catch up on those or, or get your thoughts together on those. But I, I have to take it back just a little bit because you and I haven't talked in a little bit. We had the same number one album for the year 2022, uh, The Beths, Expert in a Dying Field. Um, uh, yes. How, how did you 
land on them as your as your album of the year? And what do you like about uh, the Beths so much? And hey, you know what? Let's prospect frame it. That was their third full album. Uh, are they a big prospect to watch as kind of a you know a breakout band this year? Well, I think it's funny. You stole my line, basically. <laughs> like the Beths have been on my radar since the first album, and the first couple of the first two albums, there would be a couple of good songs. You, you'd say it's in there, right? I know this. I know the skill is in there. The, you know, those max exit velocities were very tempting. They just couldn't <laughs> do it on a consistent basis. And I think they needed more reps. And then the third album comes out as they're releasing the singles ahead. I'm like, I love this song. And I love this song. And I love this song. It's like, that's it. They got it. They got the sound down. You know, it is very sunny, slightly punk tinged. Yeah. You know, people would probably say alternative. I think it's, that, that's pop music to me mm-hmm. in the sense that it is just very well, melodic. The hooks, very, the hooks alone. Catchy. Yeah. Right. You know, they're not famous. They're not showing up on, you know, I pop radio, if pop radio is even still a thing or am I just showing my mm-hmm. age? And yet I hear those songs and if you play them for someone, they're going to say, Hey, that's good. Hey, I like that. Hey, it's catchy. That is catchy. You know, to me, that is pop music. That's a band that probably would have been a lot bigger, say in the eighties when there was traditional pop radio. I'm not saying I want to go back to that era, but <laughs> There's just so many good songs. And everyone, you know, the song I liked the best, When You Know You Know, I looked lots of other lists, NPR and Pace and, you know, New York Times, they all do their songs here. Everyone had a different best song they loved, which to me says something about how great and how deep that album was. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I had a, a different one as well. Best Left was my favorite song off of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Keith, not to disagree with you on prospect stuff, uh, Future Future Me Hates Me, their 2018 album, that was like my rookie of the year pick that year. So uh, okay. maybe I was a little higher on, on them out of the gate, but glad we landed in the same spot uh, with the Beths as our number one album of 2022 a little bit of a belated albums of the year here Mm -hmm. Uh, keith thanks so much for taking the time out man on the baseball side on the music side on the movie side i really appreciate you yep my pleasure uh there's keith law the athletic his top 100 prospects piece coming out on monday i like music um I, i do i have a problem and this is my problem you're you're the guy in the car that you're like oh is this is this music (laughs) <laughs> no, oh no we just went over some rumble strips oh. oh okay yeah yeah no tell me what it's music <laughs> okay dad <laughs> no i like music i like movies i just it's it's hard for me to ingest new forms of either because i i just there's no new form uh, sorry not new forms well there are new forms certainly I, in movies sure actually in, in music too sorry new uh new music or new movies because well for movies it's a large investment of time right to go out and and watch a two hour plus movie that might stink like that's that's a lot of time and for music listen i I know i like rage against the machine why don't i just throw on rage against the machine so I, i do need to sit down and invest some time into listening to new music because i don't know who the best are but the way you guys were talking about them Sounds good. They're great. Bunkus is a fan too. Okay, I now I feel less inclined to listen to them, but okay. No, uh, well, I don't. I don't know if JD reads Keith Law's blog, but Keith Law had the Freddie Gibbs album really high. Uh, JD and I saw Freddie Gibbs. Uh, I know earlier this year together. By the way, you know what? I, I was going to say this for the next segment, but while we're on the topic of music, because I, I know on a sports radio show, if we talk about music too long, we might lose some people. Unless what? Unless we're giving away tickets. Yeah. Do it. To said music. Uh, Alexis on Fire, who's 
album, Otherness, this year was also high on my list. Uh, they're coming to Bud Stage this summer, June 16th. We're giving away tickets all week long. All you have to do is tune into the fan drive time every day this week and listen for the code word. Text that code word to 59590, and you'll be entered for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the show. Today's code word is water wings. So text water wings to 59590 right now for your chance to win. Giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. But if you don't win with us or you don't want to risk it tomorrow at 5 o'clock with us, uh, 10 a.m., Ticketmaster.ca, the pre-sale for everyone else. The, you missed the pre-pre-sale, but the tickets go on sale officially tomorrow at 10 a.m. Um, or, again, try your luck, water wings to 59590. My, my seven-year-old uses, well, they're not water wings. They have, like, a new floating device for children now. Like We call it his floaty Feels like seven is too old to be. We we haven't signed up for swimming lessons this winter, uh, starting in a couple of weeks. I feel like seven. I I, I know it's so hard if you, if you don't have children to like visualize a seven year old like seven year old with water wings. Probably too old. You have a thought? Or you disagree? You agree? I don't have kids. Yeah, so that's I figured I, that might um, be your response. I also didn't do a lot of like I taught myself how to swim what, what hold on well like not like taught, my, but like i didn't do swimming lessons and stuff like i was just like through the process of going to friends places with a pool and not wanting to drown i just okay so that actually makes a lot of sense my parents signed me up for swimming lessons i hated it i, I got my maroon i was a capable swimmer and then i said i don't want to do this anymore and i i didn't i had friends who you know became life uh lifeguards or whatever and it took swimming lessons forever and ever and ever i hated swimming lessons but yeah, that does make sense. And th- there is, I don't know if it's an old wives tale or it's, it's a, you know, legendarily, like if you throw a baby in water and I wouldn't advise you don't to do, the, do that, but they will, they will, they, I they, know. They, they know how to swim like innately. Well, it's like you hold a, a dog or a cat over a body of water and the paws just start going yeah. before they're even in there. <laughs> it's right. For those who can't see, uh, which is everyone, I was just <laughs> swimming with all four of my paws there for, for a second. So that's, you, you just... No one gave you lessons. You were just like, hey, I can see what everybody else is doing because that's the thing. That's why I'm having taken swimming lessons. I'm like, why do we need this? Like, I can tell you move your arms around really quickly. Well, here's the thing is like I'm I would imagine I'm a below average swimmer in terms of like swimming strength. But you can swim like all we're looking to do is have children that when placed in water do not drown. Yeah. Like I can swim enough for it to be like exercise (laughs) or like I can go, you know, kayaking or whatever and not worry about like, oh, no, if I tip over. Uh, cause I, I dropped my beer in the lake <laughs> and I got to try to save it. Like, uh, yeah. no, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't I haven't thought about it a lot before. It was just kind of normal to me of like, yeah, I didn't do swimming lessons. So the first couple times that I would go to friends houses, you know, you just kind of hang out in the shallow end and you're not that comfortable. And then over time, you're just like a kid and you mess around and figure it out. Yeah. That's what I figured. My my kids haven't figured it out yet. So we're going to invest hundreds of dollars in swimming lessons. So There you go. Um, back to the Blue Jays just for a second. A um, couple of well, I mean, 15 riveting minutes of interesting stuff from, from Keith Law there. Um, the Zulueta as a starter thing, yeah, I, I guess it does make a lot of sense. I mean, especially when you look at the, the Blue Jays bullpen right now, which looks good enough, right? I mean, we do say that almost every year and there's additions that are required there. And if Zulueta can, in fact, throw 100, and you think it's a better way to keep him healthy, but that's not like a guarantee. Like some guys, it's it's easier to keep them healthy when you can control them better. As starters, they're not max efforting it. 
Well, it's also Zulueta's had some knee stuff, right? It's mm-hmm. not his arm keeps blowing up. I think he had a shoulder thing this year, but it's primarily been knee related. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if that is like a repetitive strain thing. The other thing to factor in here is that if you look at what the Blue Jays bullpen looks like right now, the only guys with options are the guys you would think are locks to make the bullpen. Mm-hmm. So they're already, look, this is one of those good problems. If everyone comes through camp healthy and pitching well, you're going to have some tough decisions about who gets sent down or who gets exposed to waivers or whatever. That's not all that important because we're talking about the last reliever. But if you are looking at a Zulueta decision and saying, well, should we try this guy as a major league bullpen piece or should we try him as a triple-A starter and see how that goes? Well, if you already can't create enough spots for the relievers you have and you don't know what Zulueta is yet as a reliever, to me, the much more valuable spot is a guy in AAA who could come up and give you four innings if you need in a spot starter doubleheader day. So, like, to me, the way the bullpen shapes up at this moment, I'd go Zulueta as a AAA starter. Yeah, me too. Well, that's the thing. Like, that's why it's like Drew Hutchison, while it's, like, funny and, like, hey, uh, opening day starter 2015, That the, those are the type of guys that you do need to acquire mm-hmm. on non-roster invitee spring training stuff. Like, minor league starters uh again to keep you away from the thomas hatch starts this season but you know what's better than that like some guy with some real upside like zulueta like i imagine zulueta goes to buffalo as a starter and yeah, he's performing well perhaps better than drew hutchison and then you have uh in which is invariably going to happen a starting pitching injury and it's a guy that's not just you know, a, a hanger on looking to, to keep his major league career alive and Drew Hutchison, no offense, but a guy that honestly could be part of your rotation for the next half decade plus. Yeah, that's 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 real, real intriguing. And I don't think as much as baseball has changed over the years, it still remains a fact that if you can if you can create a starter out of your pitching prospect, it's much more valuable than even a guy who strikes out a ton yeah. as a back end of the bullpen reliever. 150 mediocre innings, way better than 50 good ones, somehow. <laughs> yeah. I don't, that's the way the math works out. That's mm-hmm. the way wins above replacement goes. That's the way the market pays people, mm-hmm. where you have a Scott Barlow making $5 million and that's, you know, pricey enough that maybe he's available. Whereas if someone with Scott Barlow's numbers uh, were a starter, mm-hmm that person would make a lot more money or he'd be untouchable at $5 million. That's uh, being a reliever is easier than being a starter, as it turns out. Uh, last one before we take a break. So we talked a little bit about Kevin Biggio yesterday and uh, the idea of moving him. That was bait, by the way, because I know that Keith Law has not been a Kevin Biggio guy historically yeah. and, and likes Addison Barger as a bench. Bat. Well, and yeah, I, I, Biggio has already exceeded the expectations put on him by just about every mm-hmm. uh, minor league or prospect talent evaluator who saw him as as an org guy and then figured out the power in the minor leagues. And then I mean, he is like kind of a not an org guy, I guess, but like yeah, quad he's a. like the twenty fourth. I don't even know if you could call him quad A because he's been good in the majors. You know what? Even At last least, year, he had an above average on base percentage in a horrible year. For I know, him. and like enough that he was sent to the minors at one point. <laughs> um, he finished last year almost exactly <laughs> league average at the plate. Yeah, but I want to see an Addison Barger. So sure. yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, he, Addison Barger could be anything, even Kevin Bishop. Yeah, right. The other thing is that like. From talking to prospect people and people in the org, Barger is a better third baseman than Kevin Biggio ever was. And 
could probably play a more capable second base. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any experience playing in the corner outfields, but if we're talking about a guy who is better at third and second and has played some shortstop, you'd have to imagine yeah. he's better as a corner outfield uh, outfielder eventually too. Yeah. Um, the issue being, where are the right-handed guys? Like, we joked Dude. about it early in the offseason, like, ha-ha, wouldn't it be funny if they because they've traded the Oscar and then they do another thing and then they have, they have no righties on the auto Lopez. Come on up. Yeah. Uh, let's take a break and talk about that because yeah, I, I that, the, what a tease that let's take a break and talk about auto Lopez on January. No, 26th. not auto Lopez, the right handed net. Like, is this, <laughs> is this roster fully uh, complete? Like, is there another move to be made for this blue Jays team? Plus, uh, you know what that topic sounds like? What? It sounds gross, man. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Also, uh, the New York Jets indicating that they're going to be making a move for Aaron Rodgers, as we expected. Uh, that's coming up next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time Sports Night 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. I'm getting an indication of how you react in a live music setting, Blake. Like you're a headbanging guy. Like I used to have real, real long hair, and I was a big headbanging guy, and I would come back from concerts with real, real sore neck. Is that your, is that your MO? Um, I've never had long hair. Mm-hmm. So not that element of it. Uh, I do remember getting made fun of uh, on Sports on 590, the fan, not all that long ago for claiming I had a bang over after Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> uh, which was uh, I was very, very sore and I could not chalk it up to two large beers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that in my uh, in my heyday. I was a, a pit guy pretty regularly. Uh. I lost my LeBray piercing in a pit one time. That's not a joke or a lie. <laughs> it happened at Warp Tour. Is that like your nose? No, it's uh, right below, oh. like middle of your mouth. I don't Ouch. know how to describe it other than LeBray. Yeah, under your lower lip. Yeah. Yeah, okay, LeBray. I didn't know that's what it was called. Okay. That's a good, good answer. Yeah, I mean, like, look, Jordan Romano being a 30-year-old who gets a septum piercing, not cool. 25-year-old with a LeBray piercing, uh, yeah, I could get, get by. Uh, also, our pal Bunkus has had some face piercings in the past. I tried to get him. I tried to get JD to promise that. Okay, so let me rewind here. You know that one of my tattoos was like a bet around the Raptors championship? No, I didn't know that. So in their championship season, I would draw the little moose all the time whenever Greg Monroe yeah, came into the game. I and at one that. point in the season, someone was like, yeah, if they win the championship, you got to get that tattooed. I was like, sure, the Raptors win the championship. <laughs> I'll get that tattooed. So uh, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. But that little guy, the little cartoon oh, moose, yeah, I see him on the inside of my elbow. He's colored. In your notes, he was never colored. Correct. But uh, that is my drawing, and the tattoo artist just colored it. Uh, shout out to Jenny. I tried to get JD to make a similar promise of if 
the Blue Jays won the World Series this year, he would get his septum pierced or bring back oh his lip God. ring or something. He did not bite <laughs> on it, at which point I told him, look, if they win the World Series, me, you, and Ennis will be out and happy enough that I will talk you into it in the moment. Like, I, no questions asked, I'll be able to do yeah, that. Yeah, that, and that's... Yeah, it's different than getting a tattoo. Tattoo you got to live with, and I'm sure you're happy living with that one. But yeah, Septum, hey, there there might be a moment, maybe in the coming months, maybe before opening day, <laughs> Jordan Romano looks in the mirror and is like, whoops, and then the, well, out already, it comes. Uh, according to our pal Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, um, at some of those winter tour events, like he's already not wearing it oh. because, <laughs> okay. like, I, I don't know, maybe it's not, uh, it's the... The old, were you and I think you should leave guy? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the the tattoos, yeah. they're not, <laughs> I don't care, but it's not good behavior. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's the same thing with piercings, maybe. It's not, he doesn't, nobody cares. It's not good behavior. No, and it's, yeah, it's a bit embarrassing. That's okay. To each his what own. Is? The, the septum piercing. Who cares? Yeah, I, I, I just, I wouldn't do it. But listen, I'm coming from a place where I've never had any piercings, never had any tattoos. Yeah, so Mr. Not for me, Mr. Not for 2% me. milk over here. <laughs> That's rude. It's not for me. Mountain Dew pitch black. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is other than they're sponsoring a match at the Royal Rumble this weekend, uh, which, you know. There's you, a new Mountain Dew? Yeah, it's a, It's called, so I don't mean to give Mountain Dew free advertising. However, you can watch the Royal Rumble on Sportsnet now and wherever you you know, watch your, you consume your WWE products or SmackDown tomorrow to lead you into Royal Rumble weekend. The Monday Night Raw on Monday coming out of the Royal Rumble is always a big one. But yes, there is a Mountain Dew pitch black match as like, um, what, like ingrained advertising. There's a Mountain Dew pitch black match to advertise the new Mountain Dew pitch black beverage. Wow. Which is, I guess, just black Mountain Dew. Yeah, that doesn't sound appetizing. And I would say that Mountain Dew Code Red, there is, there's nothing there's nothing better. It's, also, it's at the very high, uh, it's, it's at the top of the mountain when it comes me, to... Does that look pitch black to you or does that look dark purple? That is not even dark purple. It looks just like purple. Like looks, I see a can where it's like black, but like yeah. obviously the contents say, are purple. If it tastes like purple... I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of purple. Yeah, game. orange is my number one taste. Mm. Uh, Not blue. Nah, blues, blues, yeah, blues. Okay, okay. like okay. blue Gatorade, fine, but no orange, number one. All right, purple's up there though. <laughs> <laughs> Text in to five ninety five. What is your favorite color taste? <laughs> All right, you had a, a nice little throat break there, uh, indirectly talking about Robbie Grossman because yeah, Blue Jays are set up real nice and good. Perhaps better than the 92-win team that had they had a little better success holding on to a big lead in game two of a playoff series against the Seattle Mariners. Perhaps were advancing, maybe winning a World Series, but they, they didn't. They lost uh, that game, and Teoscar Hernandez hit two home runs and then said goodbye. <laughs> Not of his own volition, but they've made some moves that have, I, I think, increased the likelihood that they're going to win more than 92 games. But why not want more? You should want more. And by the way, I was looking at, at the, the salary tables, which is an inexact science at the moment because we still have arbitration hearings to go through. And it's an inexact, inexact science even after that because there's things that happen throughout the course of the season that impact how much you're paying your players and impact how much you're paying in relation to the luxury tax and how close you are to it. But as it stands right now, Blue Jays are fifth 
in luxury tax payroll compared to 11th a season ago. So you can talk about, hey, franchise record for payroll, which I always kind of like roll my eyes at because, yeah, of course, the, every year should be a new franchise record. That's yeah. the way inflation works. I set a new weekly personal <laughs> franchise record for grocery bill every week. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Inflation and, no. uh, yeah. But 11th to 5th is is a deal. But they're right there. Like, I don't – I guess – they're in and around the luxury tax. We won't know, I guess, until the end of the season whether they're in it. And if you're in it by like a million or two million, so what? You're paying a couple hundred grand? What, what, what is that? So here's, here's for anyone who doesn't know, the very quick of why this is so complicated is that unlike the, like in the NBA, there is a different, salary number than luxury tax number but in almost all cases it's either very very close to the same or it's the same Mm -hmm. in baseball first of all someone's salary this year is not their value for the tax calculation that is based on the annual value of their deal so kevin gosman will make 21 million this year but his annual average value is 22 so that's his tax number uh, and so on the other thing is that baseball includes a bunch of stuff that we can't possibly know from outside um in that calculation including the uh player benefits that mm-hmm. is really vaguely defined in the cba and um but Fangraphs estimates it's about 16.5 million That's, per team over that, the course of the year some of those player contracts have stuff like suites and stuff yeah. Like, I, I guess that would so, be part of that. I guess that's the thing, right? Is like if we got to a place where the Jays were $100,000 <laughs> over the CBT after signing Robbie Grossman, and they were like, shoot, what if we take $100,000 off of the salary, but yeah. we give you all these other things that are worth $100,000 <laughs> or more to circumvent that? Yeah. That's basically what it's there for. Um, I kind of think that the better approach would just be exclude that and lower the number by 16 and a half million or whatever it averages out to. And then just like keep an eye on it. If teams are abusing it, (laughs) whatever. But uh, yeah. So basically the salary number that you see, um, if you're looking at any of those salary pages, you'll probably have to add about 18 million to it um, to, to, for the tax number. And then you also have to factor in that over the course of the year, you're going to need extra guys. Mm -hmm. So what this, what the payroll looks like today won't exactly be the same. Once a couple guys are on the IL and a couple guys are up making, their major league salary or scale or whatever. So I have the number right now um, at either 239 or 241 and a half, depending on what happens with Bo Bichette's arbitration case. That's over the line, though. It is over the line. Over the line. But the penalties are not that harsh. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's Yeah, it's not a big deal if they are. It's not a big deal if they're $100 million over it in, in everybody's no. opinion. But no, certainly that, not if they're like a million or two. It's one of those things, especially so baseball, like basketball, has a repeater tax penalty. Yeah. But baseball's is not all that significant. If you're in there a second year in a row, the penalties go up a little bit. If you're in there a third year in a row, they go up a little bit more. But you only have to get out of the tax once to reset that. So this is a case where like if you were within like $2 million of that line come trade deadline – yeah, you'd be incentivized to get below that line because mm-hmm. it just makes sense if you're that close. If you are five, six, eight million over already, yeah, yeah. the penalties are not that strict until you get into like the upper, upper tiers, like the New York Mets yeah. tiers. Plus, I hear Rogers has lots of money. Um, okay, so uh, Blue Jays, as mentioned, made a lot of moves. A lot of them good. Remade the outfield. Have lots of left-handed hitters all of a sudden. Like maybe too many. Now there's there's okay, Whit Merrifield is a backup outfielder. Like he is also an infielder by trade, and I think out of the gate's gonna be given the everyday second base job. 
outside of him, if you're looking for an off day for Kevin Kiermeyer and you're going to throw George Springer back in center field against a tough lefty, you're kind of not in a great spot as far as throwing a righty into a corner outfield spot. I mean, if you're looking at one place, the finishing touches of at least preseason, because we know before the deadline, there's going to be additions made to this Blue Jays team if it does what is expected. Also, Ken Rosenthal reporting that the Blue Jays are in the market for left-handed relievers. Like, Mm -hmm. it seems like there's two areas that this team can continue to solidify. Because again, real good, but like if you're a championship contender, you want to just you want to close up every little margin where, where things can get loose on you. Meza, the only lefty in the bullpen, unless Kikuchi ends up back there. Yeah, but I think he's going to, all things being equal, yeah. handed the, the fifth starter job. Yeah, or potentially a guy who has some trade value and a roster balancing move as well. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, there is a need for potentially someone who could fill in in a corner outfield and hit from the right side. And the one name, if you look at the remaining available free agents and you just, if you were to have a sort function that just sorted by, Hey, am I interested in having this guy on the baseball team? Um, You would sort by that and there would be no right-handed hitters uh, anywhere near it. It'd be lefty heavy. However, 33 year old Robbie Grossman is a switch hitter Mm -hmm. who absolutely mashes lefties career 377 on base percentage against lefties uh and a career 790 ops against lefties uh last year he had a wrc plus so that adjusts for a whole bunch of league and park factors to put everyone on the same scale he was about 57 percent above league average uh hitting against lefties yeah so that's a pretty like at the Honestly, it's extreme enough that this guy should just not hit right-handed anymore. That's it. Yeah, just, just be a left or just be a be a righty rather. Well, and this is yeah, we're we're talking about somebody who okay. So last year uh, for the Braves, he appeared in forty six games uh, and one hundred and fifty seven plate appearances. This is it. Like, there's way more right-handed pitchers in Major League Baseball than there are lefties. We understand that, yeah. but again, if you're trying to shore up, well, also he. Played 83 games with the Tigers. Yes. As well. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. So we played played 129 games last year. Yeah. He had about he had just shy of 500 plate appearances, which you know I don't think he would get this year. I think he would understand that about going, and that maybe is why he's still a free agent. Is he's looking more at playing time opportunity than the the chance to win. But yeah, you take those 500 plate appearances, you scale them down to maybe. 350 and make them a little more platoon oriented as this team's roster would dictate. And yeah, suddenly you don't have on the, you know, Fangraph's projection of playing time. You don't have Whit Merrifield and Santiago Espinal both with 500 plate appearances projected. Yeah. And I, I'm sure they like Nathan Lucas and it's why they put him on the 40 man and all it's that. It's not why they put him on because he was about to become a minor league free agent. I don't think there's. Well, that's it. So they like him enough to, to not become a, a minor league free agent, not it's to a, lose him like r- right out of the gates, right? right? But you could keep like he now is on a major league contract and has three option years and is at the like this guy's not going to hit free agency until he's fifty. <laughs> he was twenty eight years old last year and yeah. was like slightly uh, above average AAA player. Yeah. Anyways, that's the to my eyes the the number one place that this Blue Jays mm-hmm. team can can shore things up. They've already added a, a minor league catcher who has major league playing time in Rob Brantley. They also have a third catcher on the the active roster that they 
just oh, traded yeah. for her, who's going to play left field and who has incredible pop time in Dalton Varsho. Var but, like, yeah, talking to John Schneider when Shai Davidi and I got to talk to him. Fancy. We no got to deal. talk to Brandon Bell yeah, when you well, were on vacation. Okay, so what? So. I'm talking about my experience with John Schneider. Shines, as I call him. Yeah. He, he said that, yeah, you were not going to see Dalton Varsho, like, starting any games as a catcher. He's no. the third catcher. He's the emergency guy. Yes. And all, all I know I talked that element of it up, but all I really meant about that is like, there are some traditionalists who would not want to use your second catcher in any pinch run, pinch hit DH situation, because what if something happens now that what if is covered? Yeah. What if is Dalton Varsho? Yeah. And uh, again, the other thing, Tim Mays is the only lefty. And I guess Trevor Richards is like your reverse splitty, like guy that can get yeah. lefties out. But uh, no, I, I, Trevor Richards want... is also, I believe out of options. Yeah. Um, that's why you, you're seeing his name float around in some trade rumors as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Before we, we go, sorry, just to close that out, Grossman, by the way, for anyone unfamiliar, in addition to mashing lefties from the right side, uh, plays both corner outfields, grades out about average in both corners. Mm hmm. Nothing special. That's fine. That's fine. As long as he's not killing you out there. Um, so I mentioned it uh, last segment. The New York Jets have a new offensive coordinator and is a guy who made a mess of it in his first kick of the can as a head coach of the Denver Broncos. Did not even last the year, Nathaniel Hackett. But, man, pretty good track record as an OC. In fact, allowed Aaron Rodgers to win back-to-back -back MVPs. Allowed? Do you, yeah, did he said Aaron you are permitted. Like, hey, Mr. Hackett, uh, could I win these couple MVPs, please? And Granted. he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll <laughs> let you do that. Granted. So it's not over. But, I mean, before this move, I mean, we talked to Peter King. Like, this is a rumor that's, that's, that's out there by people who would know Aaron Rodgers being traded and a natural spot would be a team with a ready-made team outside of the quarterback position where they got horrible QB play even Aaron Rodgers at like maybe not MVP level Aaron Rodgers but real good turns the Jets at least into a playoff team if not a Super Bowl contender honestly here's how big an impact Nathaniel Hackett could have on an offense this year was the first year the Jacksonville Jaguars made the playoffs in eternity except for Mm -hmm. A 2017 season where Hackett was their offensive coordinator with Blake Bortles That's as the right. quarterback, and they were the number five ranked offense in football yep. with Blake Bortles as the quarterback. Just don't allow him to call the timeouts or manage the game in yeah, any don't way. Don't allow him to be a head coach. <laughs> yeah. He's uh offensive coordinator successfully in two stops, and then you're like, yeah, what if he does everything and it's it doesn't work out? No, it doesn't. And it it doesn't guarantee that they're they're gonna successfully trade for Aaron Rodgers, but it certainly puts the wheels in motion. It kind of reminded me uh, of a couple of different instances of the like, and I, I, I put a couple of them in my, my little notes here, uh, and I, I just wonder if I read them out, if you, any of them, any uh, more come to mind for you. Uh, number one, actually, was the Washington Wizards when they hired Scott Brooks, remember? They're like, hmm. oh, yeah, uh, uh, Kevin Durant, you, you like that, that that your old coach, uh, even though, you know, you guys had championship ceiling and didn't quite work out and he couldn't take the ball out of Russell Westbrook's hands. Uh, and turns out, no, Scott Brooks was not enough for Kevin Durant to say, I want to go play for my hometown team. Mm -hmm. Locally, remember when the Leafs hired Jimmy Vesey's dad to be a scout right before Jimmy Vesey was about to become a free agent when his team control for the Nashville Predators ran out? And he was a guy that people thought was going to be an impact player right away. 
Uh, and that seemingly paved the way for his signing with the Maple Leafs, which didn't end up happening. He ended he, up as a Leaf anyway. Yeah, he does stick it to the Leafs quite often also. Yeah. <laughs> and they also drafted his, his brother as well. Um, locally, again, and I guess this happened after the trade, so it's not the exact same, but Jeremy Castleberry has the, the best gig going in the NBA. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard's high school teammate who is a former... Uh, Raptors, what was he, a video coach, video He was a player development specialist, I believe, was his official title. Yeah, he's like a guy who gets a paycheck from every NBA team that Kawhi Leonard gets to play on because now he's with the Clippers again. So, uh, and then, uh, oh, Josh McDaniels in Vegas. I, I got to figure that was a move originally to attract Tom Brady, and we'll see if it it finally pays dividends this offseason. It's way guys. funnier when it doesn't, though. Like when the Raptors sign Landry Fields to a predatory contract so that they have an inside track on Steve Nash. Okay, so there then, you have a good one. Yeah, well, it's it wasn't a coaching-related one. Yeah, well, that counts. Yeah, you're playing cap shenanigans. <laughs> you're playing four-dimensional chess, and the rest of the league is like, uh, this is a checkers tournament, guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funnier when these things backfire. Yeah, like the Scott Brooks one again in Washington. Eh, nice. I fellas. mean, hey, Gravis Vasquez was supposed to bring Kevin Durant to Toronto. That never happened. Yeah, okay. Well, because he played for Maryland. They were high school uh, buddies. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, well. and like I Gravis was one. like very like bombastic about like yeah, Kevin Durant. He was Mr. Bombastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers Sportsnet. It's got a banger for you tonight as the, uh, well, I was going to say two best teams in the Atlantic Division. Two of the three best teams in the Atlantic Division locking horns tonight in Tampa. Is the okay, Lightning. hang on, hang on, hang on. I got to stop you. <laughs> two of the three best teams in a division yeah. does not do this justice. Okay. You are talking about two of the, like, arguably three best teams in the entire NHL. I guess. And... Well, one is the is going to end up winning the President's Trophy. Oh, by Bruins. far. And the other has been to the Stanley Cup Finals the last three yeah, years. Yeah, but they didn't win it last year. Well, anyways, let me get to the line. Sure. Uh, it is about dead even, as you would expect it to be. Uh, Bruins slight favorites, minus 110, and the Tampa Bay Lightning, minus 106. Montreal Canadiens hosting the Detroit Red Wings. Um, that'll be enjoyed by some. Uh, the Red Wings favored... Minus 159, Canadians plus 138. And that was Last Call, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Leafs and Senators tomorrow. We only have a 90-minute show. So uh, tune in for us tomorrow. We'll be back then. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.